Well, hello, everybody. Uh, this is Christian Capel. I'm the University of Washington football writer for The Athletic. I'm here with Danny O'Neill, and we are starting a podcast, the one that you're listening to, and it occurs to us we're doing it without a name. It's going to be about the University of Washington football team and uh, with some remembrances mixed in and, and, and likely some, some fun, humorous tangents. But uh, Danny, I, I don't know. What should we call this thing? One of the thoughts I had was the Podfather or the podcast with a P-A-W-D. But Washington doesn't really – we haven't really made much of the pause element of, of, of the dog. Like that's generally not – I mean, the dog father is, is pretty classic, but you can't get anywhere near that because it's Don James, and I, I think I think that would be that would be presumptuous. Um, others seem seem long, and I'm not I'm not a big fan of making a playoff of purple because I don't think that necessarily ties it to to Washington in the same way. So, uh, of all the different things I thought of, uh, podcast might 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 have been might have been my favorite one, but I. Man, I veer toward the side of corny humor, so you're gonna have to be a check. I do like the the W element of yeah. it, and I, I, you know, I can picture like the two of us uh, holding AK 47s or whatever, standing back to back, recreating the the Dogfather poster. Um, I it would would it be too tongue in cheek to to call it the greatest podcast in college football? Well, not if it's the greatest setting in college football. University of Washington has no qualms about that, right? Like it's the one thing we're going to drive into the ground. And I love Husky Stadium, so each time it comes up, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll stand by that. But it's a little brazen. It's a little brassy to kind of say. Wait, was there really were there really AK forty sevens? There weren't. No, I was. I was just. I was just trying to conjure whatever um, you know Godfather imagery came to mind. The, the the thing that's funny that you bring that up is because I was thinking, I was like, that's right about the time uh, Tanaki Smith, who was, uh, I believe he was a linebacker for the Huskies. And one of the one of, one of the elements is that uh, that was a point where the football players would live down at the crew house. And one of the things that the authorities found when they searched uh, Tanaki Smith's of paraphernalia, I believe, were some machine guns. I, I, I believe so. I was like, man, if they went and made a poster out of that. That's that's kind of gutsy. Like that's that would definitely be from that from that area. So, but but yeah, I'm I'm kind of disappointed to learn that there were no machine guns. Yeah, I I, I could bring it up right now if I, I I'm just picturing it in my head. It, it's kind of nah, I'm looking at the poster right now. It's pretty good. You, you've got you got dudes with some 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 purple shirts, some yellow suspenders. Uh, Don James is seated. Uh, he's he's seated at his desk. But yeah, we don't we don't have any we don't have any armaments. There 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 are no there's no weaponry on display. It's interesting because you say the dog father, and I think aside from just Don James himself, that poster is the thing that that comes to mind. But it it really was not Don James at all. The the fact that they got him to sit for that and and agree to kind of do that, he had he was so buttoned up and had such a you know a low key personality and was not flashy and it's it's interesting that that that's something that he he was like okay with doing yeah it was for the homecoming game in 1990 okay it's totally it's totally weird it's completely out of character i mean he was the guy that was kind of on high who would watch practice from above um look he's he's had a huge legacy I, i think nick saban's talked about the different things that he's taken in his coaching approach from don 
Don James, but you're absolutely right. It was completely out of character for him. What would the uh, the Chris Peterson poster look like? <laughs> would have a lot of unnecessary motion. That, it would, that, would, <laughs> that, 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 that would definitely like, there would be a lot of confusion that would happen at the line of scrimmage. Uh, the offense would look great early on and then not get any better. Like it would be frozen in time. But it's, I mean, I feel even now when I am kind of sarcastic about it that like he he also made the program not just relevant but brought it back to the top of the conference again. I mean. Like went to a Rose Bowl and 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 a college football semifinal game dur- during his run there, so it's hard to make any um, any sort of, especially kind of staring at where where the team is right now heading into this game against UCLA. Yeah, for sure. I it, and kind of thinking back to some of the criticism of Chris Peterson during his tenure early on, it was you know, a lot of it was directed at Jonathan Smith, the offensive coordinator. Um, like you kind of mentioned that they were stagnant offensively for, for much of his tenure, or at least not as good as they probably could have been with their talent. It does. It makes me think back. Like if social media had existed throughout the Don James tenure, what would have been the, the real critical themes, you know, and, and what, what holes would people have kind of tried to poke in the way that he managed things? Cause I know he, he kind of did some funky things with like quarterback reps and taking guys in and, and giving the backup a series. And there were some, you know, there were some dips where they, they weren't quite as good. Um, but I think that the Chris Peterson era really kind of underscored, like, just how hard it is to get to the top of the Pac-12, even at a place like the University of Washington, where I think a lot of fans would like to convince themselves that this is, it's a premier program in the Pac-12 such that it shouldn't be that hard to get to and stay at the top. But really nobody else in in the program's history has done it the way that, that Don James did. Chris Peterson winning two titles in six years was historically significant. That hasn't happened a ton outside the, the Don James era. Um, and I think you're seeing now, even with someone who coached under him and learned under him and views him as a mentor and inherited his entire coaching staff and his built for life program. And, you know, to use Jimmy Lake's words, knows the recipe you're seeing um, just how hard it is to, to maintain that standard and that, you know, uh, a really great head coach is um, is not easy to find. And, and maybe that's not a, a culture that you can just manufacture. My impression of Chris Peterson changed dramatically over the course of his six years. And in the first year, I felt very strongly that he might be the latest coach to come out of Boise State, get to a bigger stage and not be able to maintain his footing. Kind of a twenty-two caliber mind in a three fifty-seven magnum world. Because Dirk Cutter had gone from Boise State to what Arizona State, and then he ended up in the NFL after that. Mm-hmm. You'd had Dan Hawkins, who had gone from Boise State to Colorado, and while he had a memorable it's Division One football, <laughs> it's the Big Twelve, go it is play your not intramurals. Brother. Yeah. It was is a beautiful press conference, but not a and that first year. Washington didn't win any game it, it, it shouldn't have won. It posted no upsets, and it had a great defense with, I think, four, four defensive players who ended up getting drafted off of that team. Drafted in the first 44 picks, in fact. It was a dominant defense, and they didn't win any games that they shouldn't have, and they had the goofy fake punt. Was that against Stanford yeah. in the game? And I felt like, okay, he didn't, he didn't make enough over what he had because he had a really good defense— 
And he didn't do anything with that offense. And then the next year started, and they've got a true freshman quarterback playing in, in Jake Browning. And I remember, because was it the first game that season where they played Boise State? It was, yeah. I th- their opener against Boise State. And I remember how impressed I was with the way that Jake played. Being a true freshman and feeling like, okay, man, that's fine. Like, that's I feel really good. If that's how this kid is playing as a true freshman, and this is the quarterback that, that Peterson went out and recruited, and that's how good he is without even having spent a year on, on campus, okay, I'm all in. And then when they won, they beat USC on that Thursday night game. Sark had all the problems after that. I remember feeling, A, grateful that Sark wasn't the coach anymore, which I was more than happy to see him go. But feeling that, okay, things are on the up and up, then then the next year where it's kind of a parade and, oh, my gosh, they're, they're, they've arrived. In his final three seasons, I kind of came to see that Chris Peterson, I felt that, okay, this offense got to a certain point and it, it, it didn't get any better. And, in fact, Jake Browning's best season was his sophomore year. And then Jeff Tedford left and went to Fresno State. I'm pretty sure that all my timeline's right here. Yeah. And it seemed it seemed like the offense took a step back after that. So by by the time Peterson was done, what I felt was the most consistently strong unit on Washington over his tenure was his defense, which is weird because he's an offensive coach. I did not like Jabron Hamden. Um, I wasn't sad to see Jonathan Smith go, though in retrospect, I think. But I also knew that that offense at the end of the day was Peterson's. Like, that's not – he he was the one that had all of the different motion that was going on and all of those different things. So I, I was – I wasn't happy to see Peterson go. I think Peterson is a great coach. I think that he does a lot with this program. He knows the kind of players he wants to recruit and develop. I think he's really – but I felt that, like, his offense I, – I was excited to see somebody do something different, and I was pumped for Jimmy Lake to take over. I think now we're seeing very clearly that getting a simpler offense is is not a simple explanation for taking a step forward. Because if the offense I had complaints about, like now it's a full-fledged crisis. I wonder how simple it is. Because it, it certainly looks very simple uh, to us, and it has looked very simple to defenses. I wonder from an execution, from an understanding and execution standpoint, for Washington's offensive players, starting with the quarterback, mm-hmm. moving to the offensive line, the blocking schemes. I wonder if they're almost, if they've given them too large of a menu, knowing that this is a pro style playbook and it's presumably one that came from the NFL. Um, you know, I, I think that's kind of the root of the offensive uh, debate to me or the discussion around what is this philosophy? Was this, Jimmy Lake's general idea of what the offense should look like. And he was going to go out and find an offensive coordinator who would bring that type of playbook. Um, Is it Jimmy, you know, more of, of Jimmy Lake's offensive vision being run by somebody who was amenable to it. I've heard some people um, kind of express some concerns that can you, can you truly run a pro style offense, you know, with elements from what, John Donovan had learned in Jacksonville. And I, I know that, you know, like I talked to Ethan Garbers, uh, the the since transferred quarterback who will in fact be in, be in Seattle this weekend playing for yep. UCLA. Um, when he was coming out of high school after John Donovan had been hired and, and he said that, 
you know, the, the film and, and the playbook that he'd sent him was a lot of, a lot of San Francisco 49ers cut ups. I think there was some green Bay stuff. There was some Jacksonville stuff. And he said, yeah, like this is a straight NFL offense. I wonder if that is going to work at the college level. Like, you know, Jimmy Lake, one of the, the few things that he has said about their offensive philosophy that I found a, at least a little bit illuminating was, hey, figuring out, you know, I think he was speaking in general terms, but that, you know, hey, you might have 100 plays in this book that any NFL quarterback could run, but that, you know, uh, a redshirt freshman college quarterback with four career games under his belt, who's also attending classes and is a college student, you know, you're going to have to narrow that and tailor it a little bit. So I just, I, I wonder if, if there's been some disconnect there considering the whole, the pro style roots and the fact that, you know, this is something that presumably John Donovan took from a, a level where, you know, you're, you're expecting NFL players to run it. And, and now you're, you're asking a bunch of 18 to 22 year olds to, to kind of accomplish the same thing. Um, you, I could see the learning curve there, Christian. But here's my question. This offensive line was supposed to be good. Like, this offensive line was supposed to be – so when in doubt, shouldn't they be able to just smash the ball ahead? Is it like, yeah. Because I, I, what you're saying, like, totally makes sense to me of, like, maybe they did get out over their skis a little bit, and they got a little carried away with how far Dylan Morris they thought he'd progress last year. And it was a short year, and it was encouraging, but – and then they, all the receivers get hurt. And, but, like, when it comes down to it, I think what Jimmy wants to do is wants to have a tough team. And what's been most concerning from a big picture standpoint, it's not even the loss to Michigan, though that offense was awful for the first what, two and a half, three quarters of that game. Just brutal. Yes. Is they, they weren't able to push around Montana and they got beaten a slugfest against Oregon state. And, and that, that speaks to more than just the offensive line. There's some, some of the Washington's defense in that, or, that Oregon State game is a question, too. But at the end of the day, why, why can't they run the ball? It, it's baffling because, you know, people complained last year when they came out in their opener against a very similar Oregon State team. That roster has not turned over a lot. And they ran it I believe it was 51 times for 267 yards. If, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, it was over five yards of carry. They moved it consistently on the ground. They didn't play all that well. They, they probably should have lost. There was a weird fourth and one ball spot where Jamar Jefferson pretty clearly got the first down and they screwed it up and you know, maybe they lose the game, but they come out with a win. Jimmy Lake is thrilled that they ran the ball the way they did. And yeah, it was, it was pouring down rain. It was terrible weather. Dylan Morris, first career start. It made sense. They were going to lean on their running game. People were upset about that and they ran it. Well, I came away thinking, okay, in college football in 2021, eventually they're going to have to throw the ball a lot more than this. You're not going to win conference championships at the power five level with, with a run first offense. Um, and if you are, you're, you're probably not going to be competing nationally anyway to beat really good teams, to beat really good defenses. You're going to have to be able to throw it. Uh, but I did think, OK, this is a team that will be able to run the ball. You know, I think they 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 proved that at least against an opponent that you've out recruited for the last 130 years, yeah. <laughs> you can you, you can push them around and you can dominate them physically. Yeah. And yes. you have an O-line capable of doing that. And then they couldn't do it against Montana with the same know, guys. God. And and it's like, just, is, is it a matter of, I mean, is it a strength and conditioning problem? Is it, is it 
four guys knowing where they're supposed to be and, and who they're supposed to be blocking and one guy not. So it just looks like they're getting dominated physically. Are they really just not capable of getting push? Uh, I don't know. It's the same. It's the exact same offensive staff as last year. It's the same offensive line coach, Scott Huff. Uh, it's the same guys, save for left guard, where, you know, presumably you're playing Julius Bulo because he showed you something that Ulumu Ale did not. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's as baffling to me as as any element of this team. It's one thing if, hey, this group just hasn't been very good. They're undersized. They've missed in recruiting, whatever. But it seems like the opposite of that should be true. Yeah. It's, here's, so you let's go back to what you said, because you pointed out about them eventually needing to be able to throw the ball. And and I think that's that's sort of a valid, like big picture debate. Where I see Jimmy Lake's sort of philosophy or imprint is that he's decided he wants to be like Matt Rule was first at Temple and then at Baylor. And even to an extent what Rule's trying to do in Carolina, but but the, the NFL's different. Or kind of what David Shaw has done at Stanford and, and what, what Harbaugh did before him, which was, okay, we're at a time where everybody's spreading it out. Every, everybody's spreading their offenses out, and there's a reason for this. It, it allows for parity uh, across college football in ways that we don't usually see. It's, it's a way to neutralize the advantage that really big schools tend to have, which is usually closer toward the middle of the field with the size and the strength of their players, that, that it's kind of this equalizer. And that as everybody's gone to this system, that there's an opportunity if you say, you know what, we're going to go recruit fullbacks. We're, we're going to get big, tough guys. And instead of competing with 35 other schools for the top 50 receivers out of California, Florida, and Texas, we're, we're going to build ourselves in a different style. And one of the selling points we're going to have is we get you ready for the NFL. And you, we're, going to, we're going to lose some recruits because of that. But, but we're going to have this. That's the style. That's what I've thought that Jimmy Lake is clearly positioning his team to be. And and by the way, like I'm okay with that. Like I, I I like rooting for teams that play that style. I'm curious to see if they could pull it off. I think that he's a defensive mind that's capable of of having that kind of team and playing the kind of defense that actually that actually plays sort of complementary football in that style. But if you're gonna do that, you have to wallop Montana. You have to kill Oregon State. Like you can't, and you go into a game against one of those teams, and you're like, "Well, we're not tougher than those guys." It's like, well, if you're not tougher than them, you're not going to be tougher than Michigan. Like you're not going to be if you if you're going to be that way, you have to be the toughest team. Like you you, you have to be the toughest team. And so either he's got right now an offense that isn't tough enough to execute that style, or he's got a scheme that doesn't accentuate that toughness at which point i'm like well what the hell have they been doing because they're clearly not doing the other stuff so that's kind of the disconnect that i see that i you, you might be right they might need to eventually throw it and the the talent that they have at receiver and the quarterback that they've recruited that's not playing yet all of those different things would point toward that but they're they're utterly unable to carry out what i think their coach wanted them to do and that's what's most concerning to me how much of of that philosophy do you think is Jimmy Lake having prepared his defense to play Stanford every yeah, every year under so Chris it. Peterson yes. and and yes. going into that week like ah damn it these guys 
These guys do everything different. We don't, they run an offense. We don't see we're so, you know, we, we've had so much um, carry over from week to week with our game planning because everybody's spread out and running some version of the same thing. And, and now here comes Stanford with their 43 tight ends and their jumbo packages. And like, ah, this is, this is a different challenge. Like we got to reset. I, I wonder if, if preparing for that year in, year out defensively, and frankly, not having a ton of success against it if, in terms of. No, they lose. We lose to the nerds always, which is another thing. When they play Stanford, they better beat the nerds. If you're going to be the tough team, you better beat the nerds. Yeah. Especially when, you know, they're, they, they haven't been the, the Stanford that people remember under, under Harbaugh. And then in, in Shaw's, you know, first few years, they've taken a little, a little bit of a, a step back here and, and have not been the dominant PAC 12 North force. So, um, yeah, they've got an institutional problem with speed. That's how Dave Wyman, my former coach, like they have an institutional bias against speed, uh, a lack of speed across. No, but I do think what you said there of, of Jimmy's affection for Stanford and respect for the way they played. I also think it's because he sat there as the defensive coordinator and some of the stuff they did on offense drove him nuts. Why do we have so much going on before the snap? Why is it so complicated? Why don't we be more straightforward about it? All of the different things that he has done, whether it's the hat he wears about running the darn ball or even the hire of Donovan, I've thought point to he wants it more straightforward and a little bit more throwback. And my reaction to the Donovan hire was very much like, what? But the one thing that I saw is like, maybe Jimmy really believes that this is the guy to be able to do that. And and may, may, and and if he thinks that this guy is the guy to execute his offense, it's kind of like he's vouching for him, and and that to me has clearly turned out to be wrong. So I'm not out on Jimmy Lake by any any stretch. I'm not someone who thinks that like oh it should be done at the end of this season. I I I think that if they don't see market improvement over the back half of this schedule that I think you have to change offensive coordinators. I, I think you absolutely have to, unless they go on a real winning streak, because you're going to lose all that offense. Like, is your offensive line going to be better next year? Like, no, there's supposed to be a strength of the team this year. So I, I, I think looking ahead, but I, I do think that Stanford was a team that both the way they played against against Washington and what Jimmy Lake saw is like simple and more straightforward. I think that's what he wanted. Less of less of the the bells and whistles that were on that offense when Chris Peterson was in charge. If they make a change at offensive coordinator at the end of this season, do you feel like that in itself is an acknowledgement from Jimmy Lake that okay, my bad, I miscalculated. I need to go yes. find I need to go find somebody else to run this offense that I want to run, or do you think the acknowledgement of failure and adjustment should be, Hey, I thought we could really get a lot done running this style. That was my miscalculation. The philosophy was my miscalculation. I just need to go out and find a really talented, proven offensive coordinator, regardless of that person's preferred scheme. Maybe it's, it's more spread. Maybe it's more pass heavy, Maybe, oh, maybe it's run centric, but it's it's not the multiple tight ends and the, you know, the the tight I formation type stuff. Do you think that it's just a matter of making a change at coordinator and finding somebody who's a better play caller and a, a better teacher or whatever it is? Or do you think Jimmy Lake needs to hand the offense over to an offensive expert and, and give him the autonomy to do what he wants? It's the latter. He, he, Jimmy has to take a step back. 
he, he got to do it his way. Like he he came out of the shoot and and he he fired that shot. He decided this is the offense I want. This is the guy that I think I need to run it. And and he needs to take a step back now. He needs to contract out his offense. He he needs to. And by the way, that's a pretty proven like formula. Like that's not an exception. Like a lot of guys, when they're a coordinator that come up on one side of the ball. Give the other side of the ball to someone to handle because you know what? It's a lot of responsibility. You Trying to do both your first time as a head coach, I mean, that's what Pete Carroll did early in his career. Like, that's that's what most coaches do. Mike Leach still does it. He doesn't care about the defense or he doesn't no. really know what they're doing. Like, and 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 that's that's the way, Jim. If they don't roll on some sort of win streak and end up feeling that, okay, they really turned the corner, and I, I'm talking about, like, Maybe not winning out, but like only losing one game the rest. I, I think they're going to need to change offensive coordinators. Even then, it might be better for them to do it. G- Jimmy needs to take a step back. He needs to. It, it can't be about uh, who can execute my vision. Because you know what? Jimmy's vision might not be realistic. Or Jimmy might not know how to hire to get a guy that's going to fulfill his vision. He needs to go hire the best offensive coordinator he had. And look ahead to next year. Who are their best players? Who will be their best players coming back? It's quarterbacks and receivers, right? Like I think so. A running back. I, it's it's pro- quarterbacks and receivers. You're going to need someone to make the most of that talent because while I don't think Jimmy Lake should be on the hot seat at all this year, I think he very clearly will be next year, barring some sort of turnaround here. This is this has been this has been a really really rough stretch of road here, and and the way that they lost and what has happened, I, I think has caused some problems. You mentioned who's coming back. I think that the decisions he makes with his offensive philosophy and and with who the coordinator is going to be is going to dictate who's coming back. Yeah. In some ways, I mean, like you can transfer for free now. You know, yes. if you if you haven't transferred before, which is the way it should be, but it's the players have more power and more leverage than they've ever had. And if you're Romo Dunze or Jalen McMillan or um, you know, a, a skill position player in an offense that has not proven it's going to put the ball in the hands of the best players. And you feel like you're one of those guys. Why wouldn't you look around and, and maybe seek out a destination where they're, they're proven to, to throw the ball a ton and to get the ball to the outside and it's exciting and it's, it's explosive and they score a ton of points, you know? So I, I, I think that's a factor now too. It's it's been headed that way, and and certainly, you know, I I don't think any head coach wants to be in a position of making staff decisions based on you know the whims of of his teenage players. But that's the reality now. You, I think that they're they're risking putting themselves in position where they're going to have to sell a lot of guys on their current roster on why they should want to continue. Yes. Operating in this offensive structure. And that's fair, man. Like it's totally yeah, fair. If you're it's Jay- completely if you're Jay- fair. If you're Jalen McMillan right now, if you're Jalen McMillan right now, what are you thinking about your college career? Like what are you thinking about the opportunities that you've got? That's been there been issues with availability this year and last year is this weird season where there's only four games. But if you're Jalen McMillan, like that's a guy that certainly came to Washington with sort of trajectory and hopes. Of, of, of a pro future and you feeling like, okay, I've got to make the best decisions for that. How are you feeling going into next year? 
if they didn't change the offense or if they just said, okay, we think we're going to get better at doing this. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame. I mean, I don't blame players ever for transferring. Right. I, I, that, but, but that idea of, yeah, I do think that there is a sales pitch that needs to be made. Cause I do think that they have talent and wide receivers and everything that happened this past off season with the turnover they had at that position, I thought was built on. We think we got some guys that are difference makers here. Like, right. Like that. They were willing to turn that over because of the, how, how strongly they felt about some of these young wide receivers. Well, those young wide receivers who are that talented, they're, they're going to be expecting and not just hoping for opportunities. So, so where does that direction go? So, yeah, I think that I, I think that the biggest, the biggest question that has to be answered in the second half of this season is about the way that this offense looks and, and can perform. Can it get more out of the group than it has so far? Can it be changed to get the ball in the hands of some of your playmakers more? Because so far, I think it's just pretty clear to me that they're, they're not going to be able to push guys around. Like that's, that's, that's not this offense. If you, if you go heads up and lose basically a, uh, a slugfest where you're just taking turns punching each other in the stomach against first Montana and then Oregon State that tells you you can't win that style not at the level that you need to be to 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 stay at, at, at Washington that's that's not a success that's not an acceptable level of success going back to the idea of playing this smash mouth style push people around yeah. you know if you want to call it a, a Stanford type style or or whatever I, I, I'm wondering if you saw this comment that Jimmy Lake made after the Oregon State game about parity in the conference and how every single week, it, it, you know, any team could could beat any <laughs> opponent in any given week. He said, you know, it, to, to quote him in part here, it is very equal across the board. There's a lot of good players, a lot of good coaching staffs. I could see every week being three-point game, overtime game, seven-point game. It feels like the National Football League. The margin for error is right here. It's like this close. We're one play away from all of us hooting and hollering right now, and we're 2-0 and in conference. Do you chalk that up to basic... <laughs> Are you serious? We're going to say that about the Beavs? Is that... That's now... going to be about the Beavs? Come on! That's Come a... on! That's essentially... Uh... I I spent about a paragraph or so expanding out your fart noise in <laughs> in in word form. Um, I, I now I think I think you can. They attempted fifteen <laughs> passes. The, the beast attempted fifteen passes, and I'm supposed to with a straight face just all oh, the Pac-12 so tough this year. It's like, dude, the beefs came out and they said like we don't care about running the ball at all we're gonna put this big galoot in there at quarterback and he's gonna run the ball too like we're gonna tell you you have to stop us and you couldn't do it and oh by the way we also when you had your little quarterback sneak at fourth and one plus yards you're like we're washington we're big and tough we're gonna push you down we stone cold stopped you just punked you right in the middle of research stadium and then we marched it down the other way and shoved it right down your throat so jimmy could get out there and explain all the things about how competitive it is and all of those it doesn't matter no it's oregon state they threw 15 passes and they beat you they beat you that's not this is not a once in a generation oregon state team i've seen those oregon state teams and you know what washington beat them even then so i i, I get it when coaches say that 
and he's probably talking as much to his team as he is to anybody else. But yeah, no, I'm going to call shenanigans on that one. So that's that's kind of what I was going to mention. It, there's been a couple of comments like this. And after the Montana game, he was asked if he was shocked. He said, no, I wouldn't say I'm shocked. He was asked after Oregon State, you know, are you are you shocked to be two and three? No, I, I wouldn't say shocked, you know, one play here or there, so on and so forth. D- I'm shocked. Do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I was really shocked. I was I'm shocked. Mad. I was shocked by Montana after Montana. Two oh and three is God. not shocking. But uh, you know what? So the Montana game, um, I went and watched the U.S. Open. Um, I, I live in New York. I think most people know that. Uh, we got tickets. It was the the day of the women's final, and it was an awesome event. Like I had a blast. I forgot how much fun it is to watch tennis. Like and it sounds like. So we go out. We took the subway, the seven train out to 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 Flushing. Had an absolutely fantastic. And I didn't I didn't check the score once. It was like I'm not going to stay here and watch Montana. Like that's I'm I'm going to go out. And it was on the subway platform that I saw it. And the the first thing I saw was a tweet from Divish. The first thing I saw was a tweet from Ryan Divish. And and I realized, and then I was like, oh, maybe it's just close because it had been from like 45 minutes earlier. And then I saw it was the final. And I was just, it was just shock. It was like, I can't believe they lost. And then I saw the score. And if you had told me they were going to lose to Montana, I said the score would have been like in the 50s, right? right? And it would have been like when they almost lost to Eastern Washington a couple years ago, or is it like 10 years ago? And Desmond Trufant has that interception because if you're going to lose to a, 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 a team that you consider to be a rung down, and, and, and I consider Montana to be a rung, I consider Oregon State to be a rung, a rung down, if you're going to lose to those sort of teams, Generally, it's going to be because they run an offense you can't stop. Generally, it's going to be because they they spread it out and they neutralize the advantage you have in strength. And instead, this was a game where you just could not shove the ball down their throat. And so that that idea that like I'm not surprised to be two and three, it's like yeah, it is surprising to be two and three, and it should be shocking to be two and three, especially because that's the kind of team you want to have. So I. I try not to get really mad at coaches saying things that I kind of think they have to say. Like he he can't Jimmy Lake honestly can't get out there and say I I'm shocked and I can't believe that it's this way because it kind of sounds like he's throwing his players under the bus, right? Like it kind of sounds like yeah, but he he has to feel that way. Like but he, he did he come out to- he did come out the following Monday and sound much more contrite, uh, almost almost as if there had been some conversations about what fans and the public need to hear from their head coach after a loss to Montana. And it was strikingly different than his, his post-game remarks. Um, so I, I get the sense, like you, you mentioned, Hey, a lot of the, a lot of this is probably for his players and for his team. Mm-hmm. Much of what he says after these very disappointing losses is perfectly fine to say internally. And is probably the kind of thing you should be saying internally. You can't, you know, you're not going to get up with your team on, on Monday after you lose to Montana and say, well, guys, we dug ourselves quite a hole. And I don't, I don't know how the hell we're going to get out of this. <laughs> frankly, the season's, the season's over. We're not going to the playoff. We're not going to win the conference. You know what? We're, you know, scratch out the goal setting, win the conference, win the bowl game. Let's <laughs> Let's go six and six. I want you guys. I want you guys thinking about six and six. Our name on it, baby. (laughs) So I I get I get all that. uh, But I I think that he has he has dug himself a deeper hole than 
is necessary by by making some of these comments that seem to imply that he doesn't totally grasp like just how upsetting these losses have been to a, a large portion of the fan base. Yeah, as you're saying that, I'm realizing, so my background as a journalist, I mean, since 2005 has been the NFL, and, and I've never covered a college team as a, as a daily reporter and as a beat reporter. And this is probably the difference there because an NFL coach doesn't really have to worry, at least not in the same way as a college coach, about how the public perceives it, right? He has to, he has to worry about how his owner perceives it. Right. And, and, and if, there's a, if there is a level of disinterest or sellout stop happening— or those sort of things, then I guess he has to worry about about the public perception. College coach is different. There's recruiting that impacts it, right? How people feel about about the direction of your season. Booster contributions play a huge part. How boosters feel about you. Like all of those things matter more to the health of a college program than they do to an NFL program. So you're probably right. And I tend to view what most coaches say as what they're saying to their teams when for a college coach there it is something more than that there is like you 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 do have to manage or speak to external evaluations because you're like with an nfl coach i'd be like if he's worried about what fans or someone in the media is saying like what a weenie like he (laughs) is completely weak-minded like why does he care what i think like it's it should be like if i call him an idiot he can either show that he's not an idiot or i I don't have any control over him but for a college coach it is it, it it is different and he probably does have to think about that more because because yeah if if there's if there's any attempt to sort of mitigate the disappointment, I think most fans are going to react like I'm reacting, which is don't try and tell me that, don't 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 try and tell me two and three is understandable and the Pac-12 is competitive. You just lost to a Beavers team that threw 15 passes. I think that it's probably not achievable during the season because you're talking about a a program wide, you know, culture and value set. I think this off season, Jimmy Lake would do well to de-emphasize this infatuation with the NFL in a, in a few ways. Now, obviously you always want to be able to say this program is going to prepare you to play in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Look at how many guys we've had drafted. Look at how many guys we have, not just playing on Sundays, but making big plays. Look at Byron Murphy and, you know, Buda Baker, was the highest paid safety in NFL history for a minute. I don't know if that, you know, that that was going to get passed with the next big safety deal, but you you get what I'm saying. Um, I don't think that his, his infatuation with the NFL served him well in his offensive coordinator search or hire. I think he got too hung up on hiring somebody, not just with experience at that level, but who his contacts at that level told him, Hey, this is the guy, this is who you should look at. I think he put too much stock in that. And I think that, you know, his um, his love of the NFL kind of clouds his his judgment a little bit when he says things about, hey, it's, you know, it's just like the NFL. We're playing close games every week. It's going to be slugging out. It's like, no, well, this is, this is college football and you're the University of Washington. There are teams in this conference you should be beating by multiple scores. I understand it at the pro level, yeah, you're not you're not seeing um, the Steelers beat the Raiders forty five to twenty or whatever. Like that would be an abnormal score. Uh, but the University of Washington should have a bunch of games like that every year, 
And historically, Oregon State should be one of those teams that you do that against. So I, I, I can't, I, I think that there's some, there's some truth, some portion of Jimmy Lake really does believe that playing a tight competitive game every week is great. I think that in an honest moment, you know, he, he would say that, yeah, there, there's some teams that man, we, like we should kick their ass. We should kick their ass. We should kick their ass. We should score 40 plus plus against them. No way. This team should, should score more than two touchdowns against us. Um, but I, I do think that there, it, that he is being genuine to at least a degree when he says that, you know, hey, it's it's awesome that that we can look forward to, you know, a one score game and a you know a tight battle in the fourth quarter every week. And and I would be concerned about that. Yeah, I would agree with that. And mostly it's because, OK, the teams that you've had those 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 nip and tuck battles with have, have been te- the teams that I would list on the you probably should smoke them like that. That could be. And, and we'll see what happens, like what's going to happen against UCLA. Are, are they going to be able to that that's that's an up-tempo offense is their defense going to be able to slow that down is their offense going to be able to help slow that down by keeping the ball away we're going to see because so far in two of the games that i would say okay you should have a significant advantage here they 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 clearly have not like clearly have not and it could get significantly worse like this the, the second half of this season i think for me is going to be like okay let's let's see how far down this really is it's a search for bottom and i i know people be and i'm not giving up on it and saying that hey they can't turn around. like teams teams do teams make runs and teams make improvements and i think there i think there is a lot of talent i i still cannot for the life of me understand what's happened to their offensive line so i think there's room for them to improve but that that question of okay how bad's it going to get because so far, based on what we've seen in these first five games, my answer would be, like, it could get significantly worse here. Somebody asked me in my mailbag this week uh, if Dorian Thompson-Robinson is going to become the third quarterback to pass for fewer than 50 yards in a game and beat them this season. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't think... I I don't think he will because I think he'll pass for more than 50 yards. He'll throw for more than that. (laughs) No, look, I let's, let's not, let's not regard UCLA as a, as a juggernaut here. Like I, people were shocked to see the Huskies favored by two points when, when the line opened, I haven't looked at it today. Maybe it's moved already. Um, I'm not like UCLA hasn't, beaten anybody with a winning record their win over lsu doesn't look all that great anymore they lost to fresno yeah absolutely right they lost to fresno state at home i you know they they put arizona away last week but they didn't look real great doing it they're playing their second uh of a back-to-back road swing against a team coming off a bye visiting teams do not fare well in those situations so look there's a lot going in washington's favor um, especially with kind of having the bye week to reset after a disappointing loss. I think their performance and just how prepared they look and their their ability to adjust to what UCLA wants to do to them on both sides of the ball is going to tell you a lot about what to expect the rest of the season. Um, they should be as healthy as they've been. Jimmy Lake, I, I think, has... Uh, kind of intentionally tried to build a little bit of buzz around the possibility of Zion Tupuola Fatui coming back. I don't know if it's going to be this week or next, but um, he's, he's practicing and, and it seems like he's on track for a return. Maybe that gives them a little bit of juice whenever that happens, but 
you know, this is this is a UCLA offense that's going to want to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. They got a really talented running back in, in Zach Charbonnet. Um, they've got a quarterback who obviously can can make things happen with his legs when things break down, and that's been an issue for for Washington this season. So, you know, I, I think that this will be a, a good measuring stick game that against a a conference opponent that's pretty talented that has gotten better, gotten better, gotten better marginally under Chip Kelly the last few years and uh, feels like it it probably has as good of a chance as anybody to hang around in that Pac-12 South South race and and really, really needs to win this game to make that happen. You know, can can you come out at at home and show that you're a different team than the one that took the field in the first five games? You win this game, you feel good about Washington being a middle of the Pac-12 kind of team. And and they're they're certain you're you're not gonna you're not gonna write any wins in in pen except I mean you're, you're gonna you're gonna feel that okay they're not gonna win I don't think they're I don't think anybody expects them to be at the top of the division certainly um, or the top of the conference but you you win this game you feel good about them being competitive the rest of the way if they lose this one there's gonna start being that question of okay where where are other wins gonna come. You should should win at Arizona the next week, but you got at Stanford. It, it's it's going to become that that search for bottom. I think this is this is a game to show that they are they going to be competitive for the rest of this season. Are they going to be competitive in the Pac-12, or is this going to be a year where they're in the bottom third, bottom quarter of the conference? You mentioned Arizona. I mean, if you lose to UCLA and you're two and four, and you're turning around going to the desert on a Friday night, coming off of another really disappointing loss. I'd like to think that that um, you know Washington is is probably going to be able to handle Arizona under any circumstance. I, I mean, I think that's just looking at the rosters and the way things have gone. I think that's the the fair assumption. But you know, you they're they're college kids, and you you drop to two and four and start feeling a certain kind of way about the way things are heading and. You know, crazy stuff happens in Tucson, man. You know, it's a you go down there and lose to them, and you're two and five. You know, then what? You talk about that search for bottom. So, yeah, I think right now, if you're looking for wins, Arizona and Colorado are the most likely. That would get them to four. And so, like you said, that makes this this opportunity at home, coming off a bye, playing a, a UCLA team that, yes, they're better, but they they certainly can be had. They have their flaws. They have their deficiencies. That makes. Um, you know, I think that 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 makes this week really, really crucial for what kind of team they're going to be. I was talking to somebody else earlier today about, you know, hey, if if, if you're a Pac-12 team that is going to finish six and six or seven and five and you've got Washington on your schedule right now, Washington is a team you have to beat. Yep. And, and I think that's that's the status that the Huskies need to play themselves out of. Yep, it is. A, it, it's going to be a dogfight to keep your head above water. Or yeah, I kind of think it's the search for bottom. It's, it's a very uplifting um, sort of refrain for our first episode <laughs> of this, right? Like Washington's search for bottom. Like we're looking out into the abyss. Like how bad is it going to get? Is it going to be really awful? Well, if they beat UCLA, it won't be that bad. So yeah, let's let's hear. Here's to hoping that it's not that bad. I don't. That won't fit probably as the name of the <laughs> podcast. Here's to hoping it's not that bad. <laughs> the search for bottom. 
Yeah, and that was uh, that was pretty good. So what do you get in this podcast? You get uh, you get a, a ham-handed attempts at, at some sort of deeper message and fart noises. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe a, maybe a name eventually. Yeah. yeah. Do you uh, do you have a pick for this week? Yeah, Washington's going to win by thirteen points. They're, wow, they're gonna they're gonna beat UCLA. They're gonna beat them thirty four to twenty one. Who's who's the player of the game in that scenario? I, the guy who plays the best. It's gonna be Sean McGrew because everybody's everybody loves Sean McGrew. I think Sean McGrew's gonna gonna play well. We might see a little more Sean Cat. Do they have a name for that? Like when they put him like I was trying to make McGroover happen instead of MacGyver, but I don't think that really works. Like when they put him in, is is there some sort of funky name that they have for their McGrew Wildcat package? Uh, not that I know of. I've been calling it the McGrew Cat. I like to go with whatever makes the least sense and is the most arduous, um, because I just I I find the variation on Wildcat kind of funny. And I actually, do, do we know where the Wildcat formation, like the name for that, comes from? Why is it the Wildcat? I don't know. I so it's a single wing. It I remember first hearing Wildcat when it became popular in the NFL. The Dolphins were using it with a guy named Ronnie Brown, I think that had, that had come out of Auburn. Yeah, because it's it's a single. I don't remember. I think Parcells was the consultant when that was happening. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna remember why why they started calling it the Wildcat though. It is it it just as proof of how fickle fans are Chris Peterson received so much criticism for ever using the wildcat, even though Richard Newton was pretty good at it in 2019 when it was Richard I Newton. At it a lot. Yeah, um, I know by the end of the Oregon yeah. state game, that's, that's all they wanted to see. Take the quarterback yeah. off the field, put Sean McGrew out of the shotgun, run that every play. Yeah. Well, certainly probably would have had a better chance than that quarterback sneak on fourth and one. <laughs> I, I, I took the unpopular opinion after that. I didn't have a huge problem with that. I I thought it was the right call to go for it. Um, I'm I'm not a huge, you know, trendy shove the analytics down your throat kind of guy, but I definitely am on team. Usually go for it on fourth down. Yeah, I, one team never punt. Um, I didn't have a problem with the sneak call. It's been fairly successful for them. I saw some people saying, "Well, but it was like a yard and a half or two yard." I don't think it actually was. I think that like the lines on TV were kind of funky. Like I think it was a true three feet. I think it was a true yard. Um, it was very poorly executed, and you know I I think the issue was snapping that as the play clock was expiring. So you're there's no elements of surprise, and um, you know the there's less opportunity to get push. I didn't have like a huge problem with that call. I, I didn't either. I had a huge problem with the inability to get it because I thought it yes. underscored the fact that you could not push the beeves around. I was like, I was like, you deserve to lose that game. That you you, de- you deserve to lose that game if you get punked on fourth and one, and they then turn around and run it down your throat for fifty yards. You deserve to lose that game. Like that is one that, in, and it's one of those like where I deserve to feel as miserable as I do. Like it's not even like, oh, it went this way or oh, this happened. Like it's like, nope, I deserve this pain. I deserve every ounce of this pain. Like, like feed it to me and I should wallow in it. And, and yeah, yeah, I deserve this. Yes. It's, it's dripping onto your bib as you sit at the, the high chair of defeat. Yep. That's right. That's right. And please serve me some, no, hopefully no more. Hopefully no more this weekend. 
Yeah, I I like UCLA by six. I think it will be. Oh, Christian! I think it'll be a close game. I think the search for bottom. The li- search for bottom continues. Listen, in this Pac-12, I I think you're looking at tight parity. Sick. Everybody's going to go six and six. It's going to be just like the NFC West. <laughs> you and Jimmy Lake can go there and talk <laughs> about how hard it is. We're lucky just to win a game. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, you know what? Here's what it is. That's what losers say. Losers talk about how hard it is to win. You know what they do? Losers. Losers get up there and talk about, well, this conference, it comes down to kick it. The losers say that. Losers in the NFL get up there. It's hard just to win a game in the NFL. You know who says that? Losers. Don't be a loser. To be fair, Chris Peterson's signature phrase was, you know, it's hard. It's hard. It really is. <laughs> So, and he won. So, you That's know, true. That's true. He, he said, he, he, I think he made a dis- conscious decision that, you know what, when we're at our very best, I'm going to talk about how hard it is so that, you know, when, maybe when we don't win and I say it's hard, people will believe me. That's um, true. well, th- Hey, this was fun. Uh, I, I would be lying to you all if I said I knew where this was headed, but I, I think it's fair to say we're going to try to do this once a week. Yeah. Yes. We'll do it again next week at the very least. But all the people out there need to chip in for and 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 tell us what they think it should be named. Yeah. Um, extra extra credit to anybody who can incorporate the W idea. I tried to I tried to think of some ways uh, where we could involve like the the name, the dubs mascot name. Um, but then I got to thinking that I I've never actually really liked that name for the live mascot. I think it's kind of like, yeah. You know, I had what, one of the guys I own, I still have season tickets with some of my college roommates and one of them, it's not this incarnation of dubs. It's the previous one. He thought dubs was lazy. <laughs> he, would, he, would, he would yell at the mascot. <laughs> really, I was like, it's like, really? Like you're going to go, you're going hard on the mascot. And he's like, yeah, he's lazy. He should be lazy. He's a dog. <laughs> it's a dog. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, oh, look, Doug, dubs is just laying down. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> What's he supposed to be doing? <laughs> yeah. He thought he should be up. He just he just thought the dog was lazy. I walk past Dubs on the sideline at the end of games and just think like, I I wonder what this dog thinks of its life. Like does oh, gotta think it's awesome. Yeah. I mean right? all these all these people are and you're always just yeah, you know, like, man, they just they ask me to woof and I get I get a treat every time and people seem to be really happy about it. This is I don't know. I don't know what lottery I hit, man, but this is this is awesome. We could do dubs, not L's, but I don't know. I <laughs> well, that, see that I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know if I like that one either. They're they're going to get a new mascot eventually, and the name seem the name changes. Oh, dubs, we're on like dubs two, or you know, there's been yeah. multiple dubs now, so maybe maybe it'll have some lasting power. But um, let us know, uh, and and we'll we'll see you next week.